Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news of the week. I am Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I am joined here today by Rachel Sapin, Business Reporter, and John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. This is our Oh Canada edition. It's all Canada, all the time, for the next, whatever, 25 minutes. Um... Canadian uh, news took up the overwhelming majority of our week this week. Um, starting, why don't, we, why don't we go with the biggest of the week, which was the Liberal Party, which is uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's party, releasing its new platform. It's almost election time, and they're in a pretty big bid for votes right now. Um, Rachel, you were on top of this. You broke it. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, so Trudeau has been struggling a bit uh, to in this recent election. I know he's had some scandals, including photos of him appearing wearing from from his past um, in blackface, and you know he's kind of been our kind of our for people who miss President Obama. I think we've kind of looked to him for solace at times, and so yeah, he's got a lot going on. And uh, this month, he just released a a big plan um, for the Liberal Party that says they are going to phase out all of the net pen salmon farms in uh, Western Canada, British Columbia, to just be land-based by 2025. And it's just caused this uproar um, for the industry. And it has all of the country pretty freaked out. And we've done tons of follow-up, not just me, but all of our reporters on um, from the British Columbia Salmon Farmers Association who say this is just impossible. You know, their industry is largely in the ocean, net pen, and um, it is not contributing to climate change, um, an issue the Liberal Party is really trying to step up um, in its platform right now, and, and the industry is really fighting this uh, pretty intensely. Yeah, and just, just a, a little note of clarification, they did say closed containment, but what's important is that in a uh, DFO study on uh, on alternatives to net pen salmon, they did find that close containment was not economically or environmentally viable. So they they have been um, they have been looking and analyzing land based RAS systems for BC for quite some time, and certainly the NGOs opposing net pen salmon farming have been pushing um, to get farms on land. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't know, uh, to what extent this was tucked in for votes. I think, uh, industry members all sort of see it that way as sort of a under the door, let's get a few more votes in. Um, I had one, um, one executive from a salmon farming company say that after the pipeline vote, which really got a lot of environmental voters upset, um, they have have tried to put in some of these additional writers of you know here's some issues that we're going to take a stand on, um, and the reaction like you said Rachel was was swift. There was a massive outcry, um, and I don't know to what extent it's it's real, um, but what's interesting is that it it came on the same day, and this was not at all coordinated, uh, as you did a story Rachel on Eastern Canada. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that because going back to some of the um, recent uh, decisions on the Broughton and the um, the um, decision to get some of those farms out of um, migration areas for wild salmon, they've kind of looked to eastern Canada um, 
as a potential area where where things could really advance. So tell us a bit about what the um, climate, not the environmental climate, but what the political climate is like for salmon farming in eastern Canada and what we might expect there. Yeah, so in eastern Canada, which is largely Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, you have a lot of companies that are just kind of expanding to that area. The biggest one in the news, I think, being uh, Grieg, and they have a uh, project in Placentia Bay that's going to be one of the largest hatcheries in the world um, when it opens. I think next March is when they're really planning to come online. And uh, you also have Movie. They've acquired Northern Harvest over there, and um, they were doing relatively well till recently, where they also reported a pretty massive uh, die-off of fish in their farms that they're actually attribu- attributing to climate change. So it's kind of a up-in-the-air situation in some ways over there, but um, yeah, movie is over there. Surmac is considering sites uh, in the area. Yeah, a $500 million project, I think, or something like that. Yeah, right? so, yeah, yeah. So they're really wanting to expand, but they're also very wary of uh, what the tribes will think of their business over there, and they're really moving slowly and, and say they won't proceed if they don't get the local community approval. So I think what's going on in BC, BC is very relevant to what's going on in Eastern Canada. Well, yeah, and coincident well, not coincidentally, but in, in reaction to the BC situation, the um, uh, Minister of Fisheries in Newfoundland and Labrador, Jerry Byrne, yesterday invited BC farmers who didn't feel welcome there anymore or get phased out from this plan should it actually materialize uh, to come over to that province and join in and set up uh, operations there or expand operations if they already have them established, as you mentioned. So, uh, yeah, it's a bad time to be in B.C., I guess, if you're a salmon farmer. Yeah, and it's not, um, it's not like uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's not like, you know, they're talking about relocating to Greenland or something like this. Yeah. This is a place that already has... A hub Cook's been there for a long time, and Northern Harvest has been there a long time. So, there's an infrastructure there with feed, with logistics, with everything that they need to, um, you know, to grow in that in that uh, region, which is why it's attracting companies. And it is, like you said, John, it's very pro business there. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fisheries uh, operations there, of course, with uh, Clearwater and OCI and and loads of other companies. So, it's. Um, it's, I think, got less um, environmental scrutiny and, um, you know, and this is important too, it's got less uh, wild, it, there is no wild salmon uh, runs to speak of in eastern Canada. I would get blowback for that statement, but it's true. Um, you know, where whereas in the Pacific Northwest here, there's a lot more at, uh, at stake in terms of the actual salmon themselves, but there's also a a very significant cultural um, identification with wild salmon, not just among native groups, but just among everybody. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you just see it everywhere if you're in Washington or BC or, or in Oregon even. Um, it, it's really, a, you know, it's a, um, an iconic, uh, uh, iconic uh, animal. So. Well, and a lot of people, you know, sent me notes uh, asking, well, where'd this come from? How this come, you know, it kind of took everybody surprise, by surprise, and I'm not sure how this got into the platform specifically, who introduced it, but 
you know, uh, apparently um, Trudeau is in a neck-and-neck race with his conservative rivals, so um, he probably wanted to make sure he get a little more green votes, and there's a green party there that's been siphoning off votes from, from his uh, party. So, um, And they have the same platform, right, Rachel, uh, in terms of salmon? Yeah, Net they do. Salmon, they the green the, yeah, they have the same platform. Yeah. It's, it's the exact same. Almost copied it. Word for word. Yeah, so and they introduced that earlier than than he did. Oh, party. that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so this, I mean, this is earlier. very political, yeah. and I think that's you know clearly upset a lot of the BC people because they, in some of the stories, their comments were like you know, basically we're being sacrificed for political gain here, and I can see how they feel that way. Well, there's other elements in, in play here as well when you look at sort of the, the rubber hitting the road. Um, you know, they said by 2025 they would make this, uh, this phase out. It's 2019 right now. That's, that's not feasible at all for them to actually do that because there will be court challenges. There's going to be, yeah. if they try to move ahead with this, there will be, um, it will be very, very difficult. Now, the First Nations groups in BC are uh, are powerful and and in a lot of ways, um, you know, have have a lot more respect than, than they do in, in the United States. Um, so their con- their concerns are taken into consideration with 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 these issues. But there are plenty of First Nations groups that are pro salmon farming, sure. and that they're um, they either cooperate together with um, the salmon farming companies. In fact, I I don't think there are any that operate without some kind of connection with the tribes. Um, and there is um, you know there's some communities that Rachel you and I talked about just recently that are very very far north that have no other job opportunities mm-hmm. at all. Um, and so, you know, this isn't going to be a, a, a quick issue if even if Trudeau's party does win and they do sort of prioritize this. Um, but, you know, Drew, the thing, the, the, the thing that bothers me about it is it's another blemish on B.C. salmon farming, in a sense, because now this has gets added to the narrative of like, oh, yeah, even the liberal government, Trudeau, didn't want it. And, you know, I mean, it, I, I kind of feel bad for that sector because it just seems like it's one thing after another for them. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, it's going to be interesting to follow. I know, Rachel, you've got calls into the Liberal Party, I think. They're probably pretty busy because we're trying to find out what, um, you know, where it did come yeah. from. If How it, it, it was just in there. copied from the Green Party or if there's... You know who's put this in now uh the green party uh just off the top of my head you know there's very very powerful ngos in bc like the suzuki foundation and and other groups that i'm sure are very closely aligned with the green party um and again it it may be cynical but i do think it's realistic that this is a play for votes especially given that it's such a close uh closely worded platform to the green parties and that there is Word or, or you know belief that the Green Party votes are siphoning off things from the Liberals. So I, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah and it's um, I did I was able to reach the Green Party pretty quickly versus the Liberal Party. It's a whole bureaucracy that I haven't heard back from yet. But um, yeah, the Green Party has introduced these measures before. It's not particularly new to them. Um, and yeah, they they gave me their whole platform from last year and this year and. So they've been pretty transparent that this is, you know, they've been the climate change party of Canada for a while. Um, and I just think people are 
getting to a point where they want the action now, and I think that's that's trickling into Canada like it is globally with uh, climate change politics. Yeah, I mean, that's for real. And like you said earlier, Rachel, about um, the Northern Harvest Farms, like, you know, so that that's kind of a funny... Um, you know, contradiction to the idea that you could move to Eastern mm-hmm. Canada is that, you know, what what is going to happen with these warming waters? Um, so we'll see. But that's a that's a much larger global issue that people are going to have to deal with with algal blooms and and things like that. Um, just sort of shifting a little bit, um, but not too far, um, and sticking with our Canada theme as we have promised our listeners. Um, Cook aquaculture seems to suddenly have gotten new life, new life. In another story that Rachel broke, uh, they were out of Washington State, pretty much thrown out on their ear. The entire industry was shut down, and all of a sudden, um, it looks like Cook has been busy in the background and has not given up. So, Rachel, tell us what is going on with Cook um, as soon as you broke the story, they sort of sent out a flurry of other news, so I don't think they were expecting it, which is always fun. Um, but tell us what's going on. Yeah, so Cook has been working behind the scenes really very strategically, I think, and they are working with the state. They're going to try to reopen four of their new sites to farm this uh, sterile rainbow trout, I believe it is. I just want to make sure I have that right. Um yeah, it's uh, all-female, um, I'll correct myself, all-female triploid rainbow trout. It's supposed to be much safer, not able to breed with existing salmon populations, and the state is giving the company the preliminary okay. They approved um, the possibility that they will be able to extend the licenses for another five years uh, from now instead of the company getting phased out by... 2022, I believe, is what the schedule is for mm-hmm. four of the sites that the state just approved. And so, yeah, Cook is uh, moving forward with uh, farming rainbow trout in Washington State, and they have they had tons of documents submitted to the state. The state's doing a public comment period right now, but uh, that doesn't really impact this plan moving forward. There's nothing in state documents that say, at this point, Cook can, you know, will be derailed like it was with the ban instituted last year. Yeah, and there's there's a cool nuance to this. For those who th- are asking, well, they, they were told they can't farm salmon, and, you know, trout is basically a cousin, if you will. They were told they can't farm non-native species, but trout, the trout they want to use, is a native species to the Pacific Northwest, so that's the nuance on which they uh, pivoted. I think that's very clever. I think it's very clever. I didn't expect it, and um, obviously they've got some smart people working in the in the background on on these issues. Now, the other uh, the other interesting um, thing is just that same day, and so I think they uh, you know were planning to announce this soon, uh, but they announced that they had reached a agreement with the Scallum tribe. Um, to uh, also farm at one of the other sites as well, I believe, Rachel. And tell us a bit about that, please. Well, this is a fascinating development because Cook got uh, the state to move forward with allowing four of its sites to come back online in the Puget Sound through this trout agreement it's working on. But there were two little sites left um, 
that are kind of fun. And one of them is this Port Angeles site that they are going to be working with a Jamestown uh, coastal tribe to potentially farm sablefish, but the state hasn't given them the okay to reopen this farm. And they kind of formed this agreement with the Jamestown tribe ahead of getting state approval, which is just fascinating. And, you know, they're really touting how much they're going to bring to the economy, to this tribe, the great relationship they have with the government there. And it's just really interesting because it just kind of gives them a leg up, I think, to reopening uh, another site. And the one they'll have left if they get this Port Angeles site reopened um, is the uh, troubled uh, Cypress Island site. And that's where the escape happened a couple right. of years ago. So we'll see if they can get that one up and running. But I mean, it's interesting. And I, there haven't been any indications yet, but... Um I would not be surprised if they do partner with the tribe on the other trout operations as well. So that's a, um, you know, that's a, a good way to get um, kind of social support for farming operations. It's worked well in BC and in um, in Eastern Canada as well. So, well, it'll be interesting to see. You mentioned there's a 20-day comment period open now on the the trout, um, the use of trout, and. When this first happened, if everybody will recall, there was a major outcry among people in in Washington State and the Pacific Northwest about how terrible this was, and these people should not be allowed to do business in here, and they're foreign company, and yada, yada, yada. So I'm really waiting to see if that backlash emerges again, and thwarts their efforts in some way or delays their efforts in some way. I don't know, but it it could get very interesting. I don't think we're done with it quite yet. Yeah, I'm just surprised. I mean, I feel like the Seattle Times had just some amazing coverage. In addition to ours, just a really good local coverage of this issue. When I started this job, there was one reporter there. I was reading all her stuff just like religiously, and I haven't heard anything out of them. I don't even think about the trout farming yet, which is kind of fascinating it's only kind of trickled to the local papers and i'm sure that's how cook likes it but it'll be interesting what event kind of lets the story you know lose no they'll catch up to you sooner or later rachel (laughs) yeah they will give them time give them time rachel Um, but no you're right i mean as as (laughs) of today there's there's nothing that's been in the uh in the consumer press on it so um, but they will get a hold of it, and I would say those same groups that opposed, um, you know, uh, that that we're we're making the outcry when the Cypress Island incident happened. I'm sure that they will uh, be back. Um, you know, one hmm. other thing, um, Jay Inslee, the governor of our beloved state of Washington, in which we reside right at the moment, was very, very vocal and adamant about. I can't remember the quote, but it was like. That stuff should never be allowed in our state ever again, meaning aquaculture, basically, salmon farming. I haven't heard boo from him. He's been running for he's been president. Busy. No, he's not anymore. That's he dropped true. out. <laughs> he's got plenty of time now, but um, haven't heard anything from him. So I don't know if he has any power to override his Department of Fisheries or I don't know. i just throw that out there in the wind for thought. I don't know. Um, it's all climate change. You can get away with anything nowadays. Um, <laughs> As we know. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're on top of the political heap, you know, you make the rules. 
Um, well, okay, so staying in British Columbia, John, I'm going to toss this to you because you actually covered this issue, but years ago. So uh, today, some news from uh, BC about the Marine Stewardship Council certification of the Sockeye, Pink, and Chum runs there. They have decided to step away from MSC and self withdraw. Yeah, they're voluntarily stepping away from the MSC certification for those fisheries Drew just mentioned. And the group that holds those certificates, the British Columbia, uh, oh, let me think, the, oh, I'm sorry, the Canadian Pacific Sustainable Seafood Society um, came out today and said, look, we're we're not going to pass, we may pass the audit this year for these fisheries. They have to do annual audits because the fisheries did not pass completely their conditions that have to be audited every year. So they came out and said, we'll probably pass this year, but unlikely next year. And we're not getting any support from the Department of Fisheries uh, to achieve some of the things we need to do to pass these audits. So they... I mean, a pretty shocking move. They just said, you know, we're, we're as of November 27th, I think it is, we're no longer, we're suspending our, uh, our certificate with the MSC, meaning products produced from those fisheries after that point could not carry the label. And this was, you know, looking at the past coverage too, when we were, um, you know, kind of doing background on the story, um, it jogged my memory that this was a highly controversial fishery, um, which I do remember at the time it took years and years and years for the MSC to certify the fishery um, as a, uh, to its uh, standard. And then when it was, there was a massive outcry. And so unsurprisingly today, um, NGOs kind of jumped on this uh, and, and said, finally, um, they should have done this a long time ago. But um, they also released a statement saying that the Marine Stewardship Council sets a very low bar for wild salmon sustainability. Um, you know, John, you, you, you wrote today there's plenty of other sources of MSC salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of interesting, and I wonder, given the controversy about Alaska and its hatcheries, um, you know, I, I wonder if this is something where... Um, the MSC might get a bit more scrutiny about its salmon certifications because they have been uh, they have been complicated. Well, they're complicated naturally because they involve uh, fish that migrate over long uh, stretches of the ocean. So they're, they're going to be complicated. I don't agree with the statement you read from I think it was Suzuki about the MSC sets a very low bar. I, I don't agree with that at all. In fact, I think the exact opposite is the case. I think in this particular instance, you're looking at a failure of the fisheries management system within British Columbia, at least according to this group that is voluntarily pulling um, the certification. So I'm not sure pinning anything on the MSC in this particular case is correct. I I think we still need some reporting to do to kind of understand this uh, a little bit better but um, you know and you mentioned earlier uh, today that this certification of BC salmon took forever Alaska was 
well on its way when this happened. But this also came at a time when the MSC was trying to become more legitimate and get a lot of uh, uh, harvest into their program, and, and salmon, of course, being a, an important one. So, um, you know, I don't know if that means a whole bunch at this point, but the fisheries just kind of gone by the wayside, it sounds like, in, in that respect. You know, I didn't see the MSC come out with any statement of support today. I, I don't know. I'm sure they will, um, and, and I'm sure that we'll uh, be asking them for one. So, um, so let's see what they have to say. All right, well, let's wrap it up there. It's been a long, long week of covering Canada. Of course, we've covered loads of other things from around the world, uh, so you can find all of that on interfish.com. We also have uh, a lot of links uh, on social media that you can track our stories on. So LinkedIn um, and Twitter are great ways to kind of keep, uh, keep up with us. Um, a little bit of news coming up for us in Qingdao on October 31st. We will have a, another Seafood Leadership Forum. Um, this one's going to be interesting. It's about the Chinese uh, salmon sector, both on the production side and the market side. So we got a great lineup of speakers. Rachel Mutter is going to be spearheading that, so that means it's going to be a great event. Um, so if you will be in Qingdao during the China Fisheries and Seafood Show, which is our partner there, um, stop by. So you can find more information about that on interfishevents.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week.